Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. In the last couple messages that we've had in this, uh, we've been going through this study, a study called Life, and uh, looking at the, we're looking, examining the life of Joseph, but we've been looking at his lineage so far. In the last couple of messages, we saw two important points. The first thing was this, that we need to be consistent peacemakers. That, that's something that we are all to be as the children of God. That's what we're called to be. We are to be makers of peace in our life. And the only reason that we can be peacemakers is because we have peace with God. That peace with God gives us the peace of God. And having the peace of God in our life, uh, this is so important. We are to share that. We are to make that. Uh, one of the, the, the greatest things that I, I think is a challenge for many Christians today is how to make peace in the midst of such a, a, a turmoil in our nation, right, in, in, in the world. We can look around the world and we can see a whole bunch of, of junk, and that's easy to see. But in our nation where we're red-blooded Americans and we're, we want to fight for the right, we want to stand up for good and, and all those things, it, it, it's, it can be a, an interesting uh, challenge to be peacemakers in the midst of such uh, division in our nation. So many strong opinions, so, so many platforms to, to launch those opinions from, uh, social media platforms and stuff. And so uh, I'm not by any means saying that we should uh, strangle or we should silence uh, our biblical perspectives or we should silence our, our, our biblical convictions or we should silence the, the voice of God and the Word of God and us being uh, those mouthpieces. But I, I would suggest this morning that we would use wisdom and discretion in how we say and what we say on those platforms. Because many times we can be the agents of division and not the makers of peace in this world. And I'm not saying that we have to, oh, well, we have to do this. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just simply saying, if we're going to use the platforms, let's be who we're called to be on those platforms. And one of those things is to be consistent peacemakers. Uh, a lot of times we like to get out there and say, uh, I'm just going to get out there and stir it up and make my opinion known regardless of the consequences. And uh, I, just don't, I just don't know that that's God-honoring, and I don't know that that's wise. And so I think that we should make sure that we are being consistent peacemakers, and that's why it's important to key in on that word consistent. Not just whenever uh, we, we were watching, um, what's that called? Um, the, the comedy? Dry bar comedy. Our, my, my brother and sister-in-law introduced us to that, and uh, so we've seen a couple of these uh, comedians on this 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 clean comedy uh, channel that they have out there and uh one of the one of the guys we, we watched a couple of them last night and one of the guys on there was talking about uh how the the facebook the the older generation struggles with and he goes don't pretend you don't know what you're doing out there he, talking to the older generation he said because what is that face chat or the snap page or the the snap book or whatever and uh and he said and then he got to talking about you know you, you, you we all got those family members or friends it's something to this effect that uh on facebook you are all is love and and all is wonderful but you're the worst person to meet in the world in person <laughs> you're the grumpiest most negative person in the world in person but on facebook you've got this angel halo around your uh, your, your Facebook page or whatever. And uh, that's, again, it just made me think of that. We are to be consistent peacemakers. We are to be sincere. We are to be who we're supposed to be all the time, whether we're here with each other, whether we're at home, whether we're behind a computer on, on our, on our uh, snapbook or whatever. <laughs> consistent peacemakers. But this peace was given to us. We have this peace with God because, again, as we saw last week, the death of Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed, again, it was, it was what was needed to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. And he did it for us. And that's how our peace with God was made. We also saw the second point uh, was we were to live in desperate, uh, 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 constant desperation for God. 
This isn't a desperation just when we need God to bail us out either. That's what we, we pointed out last week was it's not just like, okay, now I need God, I, I need you to help me. Not just when we need a, a desperate fix in our life. I need you to heal me. I need you to, to help me keep my job. I need you to, to, to fix my relationship. God, I'm desperate for you now. And, and, and we, we don't ever miss a service. And we don't, we don't ever uh, miss an opportunity to serve. We don't ever, we are completely desperate for God. We are devoted to God. We want God to do something that we want him to do in our life. And many times we see, because of the nature of our flesh, what happens when we have this type of relationship with God and we live with this type of desperation, not this constant desperation, but this fluctuating desperation, is as soon as God gives us those things that we're asking him for, God, fix my relationship. Our relationship gets better. God, help, help me with my job. Our job gets better. Uh, God, we're, we're, we're poor. We're, we're, we can't pay the bills. We can't eat. We can't do anything. We need money. God helps us with, with that. Our health is bad, and, and, and the doctor's report comes back good. And in the moment that we get these answered prayers, we, we pull back off of that desperation. We start making excuses. Well, this or that. All times, we should have this this desperation for God and the reason why we should have this constant desperation for God is because we realize and we recognize in our life that we have an absolute need for him at all times it should be a relentless dependence upon God at all times again not just for him to fix problems not just for him to bail us out but again I think this is what is true as well if we are in tune with this or in tune enough then we can recognize in those moments that we are in desperation for God to fix something in our life, I think that we can recognize that this is how I should be living all the time. Again, I've, I've had those moments in my life, unfortunately, where I haven't been in this constant desperate state for God. And so uh, something comes along, something negative shakes things up, and so all of a sudden I become desperate for God. I'm, I'm, I'm more devoted. I'm, I'm, I'm more desperate. I'm crying out with more intensity and, and more passion and there have been those times that God, in his loving kindness, has shown me, Son, I want this from you all the time. I want this type of love and passion from you all the time. I, I, I ran to the cross for you. I want you to run to me with passion. Every day. Not just, again, when, when, when we have a, a need for him to fix something in our life. Uh, has anybody ever had any uh, had uh, those dreams? We have weird dreams, you know. Our, our, our lives are f filled with weird dreams sometimes. But have you ever had one of those dreams where you feel like that you're hanging from uh, from something, like a ledge or a bar or a building or something, and, and and you feel like that you're slipping? Anybody ever had a dream like that? Okay, I, I've had a dream that I was hanging from something. And I was slipping, and I, and I felt like I was going to fall, and, uh, and, and I did. I, I began to fall, and the moment that I, I fell, I didn't experience what the result was. I didn't splat on the ground or, or you know, feel the pain or anything like that, but I, I woke up. The dream woke me up just in that, in that moment right there. But I, I remember vividly these dreams that I've had like this of hanging on and, and, and feeling like I was slipping. Oh, by the way, if you haven't had a dream like that, you're welcome. You might have one this afternoon in your nap. Or tonight, because that's one of those subconscious things that's going to go back there, and then you're going to doze off, and you're going to be like, oh. but, um. <laughs> but anyways, this desperation that you feel as, as your hands are slipping, you're losing this grip, this, this, this great desperation of, I have to have help right this moment. I have to have a rescue. I have to have someone or something intervene, or this is going to be really bad. Again, if you've dreamt that or if you've experienced something like that, then you know the feeling, this great extreme desperation that I'm talking about. And I do. I believe that we can live like that every single day, and I think that's what God wants from us. Not, not in, in the desperation as far as fear goes or anxiety goes. Like we're supposed to live every day worried, and so we're just desperate on God. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that need, that desperate desire for someone to help, to intervene in our life. Again, that's the way we're to walk every day. Not in fear, not in anxiety, but this desperate desire, this desperate need for God to show up. In the good circumstances and in the bad circumstances. We have to have this. I have to have God show up every day. I've got to run to him every day. And this morning we're going to move ahead in our study and uh, we're going to see what is going to become... 
of what Jacob has been preparing for. Again, he's, he's trying to make this preparation to make peace. Uh, he is in desperate. He's in desperation. He's thinking that Esau is, is coming to, against him with 400 of, of his men to fight against him. He's, he's imagined all these bad situations. And so we're going to see what happens in, in the next step in preparation. So let's pray, and we'll see this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here again. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for our freedom uh, to worship you. Thank you for what we've already experienced so far, Lord, the music, uh, the, the opportunity to give. Lord, we're just so thankful that um, we have these opportunities. Thank you. Thankful for the word now that we get to uh, dive into in your word, the truth, uh, that we can learn from you, that we can learn of you. And, uh, Lord, if we're ready and, and our hearts and, and minds are prepared, God, you'll do something just great through your word through this message this morning. And that's what we're expecting. That's what we're hoping. That's what we're praying for. I pray that you would just do a great work in each of our lives. Lord, whether it's, it's something new, whether it's something encouraging, challenging, whether it's something convicting, or whether it's something just to, re to remind us, uh, whatever it is, do your work today in our lives. Uh, we, we yield ourselves now at your throne, and we pray that you would be glorified through all of this. Use me just as a vessel uh, so that you can be the one that gets the glory alone. Lord, if there's someone here that's lost, they've never experienced a life change, they've never been transformed by the power of your spirit, they've never surrendered their life to you in faith, uh, trusting the gospel as the truth, uh, Lord, I pray that before they leave this place, they'll do so, or that they'll surrender their life to you and, and, and ensure that heaven's going to be their eternal home. Lord, just move now, and we'll praise you for what you do. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 32, if you have your Bibles there, we pick up in verse 13. The Bible says, And he lodged there that same night, and took of that which came to his hand a present for uh, his Esau, his brother. And this is what it was. 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels. And, you know, I, I was uh, been studying this for a little while, and, and I got to thinking, uh, Brother Ryan has been, Brother Ryan Jones, one of our missionaries, has been to the Gobi Desert, right? And he was telling us one time about him drinking warm camel's milk. Is that right? And, uh, yeah, just think about that for a second. Warm camel's milk. I, I don't, I'm pretty sure I could not stomach that. Brother Ryan can because he can't smell and barely taste. And so, and he's not here, so I don't want to, I'm not like trying to talk bad about him, but uh, he, he's talked about how it just wasn't a, really a pleasant experience. He didn't really know all of the different flavor notes in the camel milk, um, but it's just not a, 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 a pleasant experience. Regardless, in that part of the world, in the eastern part of the world, it seems to be normal. Uh, also, it got me thinking when I was a kid, I spent the night at a... a we, we lived out in Justin, and there was a, a dairy farm out there. I was friends with one of the kids that was living out there. And, and so we, I think I may have shared this story before. I spent the night one night, got up the next morning. His, his mom had made breakfast, and, and I was thinking, man, this smells so good. So, and, and, and she said, you, what do you want to drink? We've got water and milk. I mean, that's, I think, at a dairy farm, what you can expect, water and milk. And so I was thinking, oh, man, milk from a dairy farm. I was like eight years old, but it was still in my mind. I was still thinking, milk from a dairy farm is going to be fantastic. She goes to the refrigerator, opens the refrigerator door, gets this jug. I mean, it looks like, I mean, it's just a fresh jug of milk. I'm thinking, I, I think my mind's about to get blown. <laughs> and it was. It was about to get really blown. And so they pour it in there, and it looks, it's wide, and it's, rich looking. I'm like, man, this is going to be great. I take a drink of it, and it took everything I had not to spit it all over the table. It was fresh milk from the cow. I'm pretty sure that they milked the cow and put it in the fridge. That was what it was. Uh, anyways, the, I, that has nothing to do with this, but that's just an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, milk camels. That's how we got off on that. Milk camels and with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them to the hand of his servants in uh, every drove by themselves instead of to his servants, passed over before me and put a space betwixt 
drove and drove. So put a space in between each group of, of animals. Uh, and he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau, my brother, meeteth thou, and ask of thee, saying, Who, who art thou? And whither, where are you going? And, and who, whose are these before thee? Thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. Jacob's behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you, find, when you find him. Now, so this is what Jacob's plan was. Jacob's plan was to, to have this huge uh, gift of, of livestock to his brother, for his brother. Remember, he had stolen these physical blessings and, and the birthright from, from his brother. And so essentially, in his mind, his, his peace offering was the substance from stealing these blessings, I'm going to bring them back to you in, in, in multitudes. I mean, you may not have got the blessing, but I'll bring you all the fruit of the blessing. And to make it even bigger, uh, or seem like a bigger, uh, you know, peace offering, if you will, he says, I want you to spread yourselves out. Spread yourselves out. This drove, and then a space, and then another drove. So my, my, my thought is this. Why, why would Jacob want to do that? As I said a while ago, maybe to, to make it look like a bigger offering? I, I think so. I mean, we, we've kind of got to know Jacob a little bit. He's selfish. He's self-centered. He's out for his own. He's a trickster. He's trying to, I think, uh, make it seem like, man, when is, this, when is this gift ever going to end? One drove, and then another drove, and another group of animals, and another group of animals, over and over and over. Maybe to seem extravagant, overwhel to overwhelm his brother. Uh, but uh, again, probably so. We don't know that dogmatically, but probably so. Verse 20, though, it goes on to say, And say you, moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me. And after all, I will see his face for adventure. Perhaps he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and he lodged that night in the company, or in the camp. And he rose up that night, and he took two, his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Yabak. And he took them and sent them over the brook, and he sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, verse 24. So Jacob comes up, sends all of this gift ahead, and it's just he and him, his family in, in the camp. And what he says is, that night he gets up, he says, okay, I'm going to move you guys on the other side of the river. And he stays in camp alone. And there... Verse 24, wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. All night long and until daybreak, this man wrestles with Jacob. And he saw that he prevailed not against him, and he touched the hollow, the, the socket of his thigh, and the, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men. You fought with God and men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, your name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen, the, seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Man, what, there, there is not enough time, and there are not enough messages to preach all what we could preach from this entire encounter. From, from everything that, that, that just happened there, uh, we could talk about when we encounter God, we, you know, we get a, a, a new life, we, a, a new name, a new identity. We could talk about uh, the, the, the wrestling uh, that God had with Jacob. We could talk about all these things, but, but I want to look at something very important. I think it's important for us to apply in our life today as we're looking at this matter of life, and it's this. Point number one is the only point you have in your notes because our, I didn't do that to you this week. I realized point number one is all we're going to get. So I don't even put point number two or anything else on there. So point number one is this. We should strive for the spiritual. Again, up to this point, Jacob had wrestled for these physical blessings. He had stolen for them. He had uh, ran from his father-in-law. He had worked 20 years. He'd got all these physical blessings. And now, as he's in obedience to God, 
And after he has, once and for all, that we saw last week, called out to God in his desperation, finally, God, help me. God, I need you. Finally, he comes to this place. Now he's moving forward in this obedience, moving forward in this direction, facing the challenges, the, the challenge and the potential affliction that's going to come with, his, with uh, fi- uh, encountering his brother Esau. Finally, he's moving forward in faith, trusting God to do these things. And so he puts all of his family over, and there God wrestles with Jacob. And Jacob, the Bible says, wrestled with God. And I think it shows us something very, very important in this, this striving for the spiritual. And I want to say this, the striving in the spiritual is, is not with a motivation of pride, it's not with a motivation of greed, and it's not with any other ulterior motive. It's not saying, I, I'm going I'm to strive after God, I'm going I'm to strive after spiritual things so I get what I want in my life. That's not what it is. We should strive for the spiritual simply because we realize that's what matters. In this life, it's the spiritual that matters. It's the spiritual that's truly valuable in our lives. Isn't it interesting how we live our lives, though? We can all be very guilty of striving for the earthly and not the spiritual. Because, again, we're all, we're all temporal. We're all in these temporal vessels, and it's so easy to strive, to live, to wrestle, to, to labor, to, to give our very best efforts to the things that will one day go away. We do it even with our kids and our grandkids. I'll talk about that in just a second, not a second, a few minutes. It's interesting to me, though, uh, someone even pointed out in these verses 22 and 24, there's three Hebrew words that contain uh, three specific Hebrew letters uh, that point to this event or or that that, that encompass this event and I, I think are important to point out. The first thing is this. There was... The man, Jacob. There was the place, Yabok. And then there was the match, Yabik. These three are very important. Because before Jacob, Jacob, could cross the Yabok, the river, the place, the land of blessing, he had to yabik. He had to wrestle. He had to toil. He had to, 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 to struggle, to strive. Once again, he, he faces an adversary. It was Laban before this. It was uh, the, the, the laboring before that. It was, it was other things up to this point. And now he wrestles with God. I want you to also notice something, too, about this encounter with God, this wrestling match that happened here on this side of the river. It was happening in the night when it was dark. And it happened until daybreak. And so what's important about that? Again, if we, if we look at the, the analogies, if we look at the similarities between our lives and, and before we cross over, the wrestling that we have, the struggle that we have. And when we're children of God, not against God, but for God. And, and this, this, this darkness that we're in, again, the daybreak is on the rise. And when, and when God touches us, it becomes day. All those things, again, over and over and over, many, many different things that we could point out. But there was a couple of other things that I, I wanted to make sure that we got is this, that he had put everything on the other side. Everything, his family, his possessions, and it was just him. This only happened as well, this blessing, this touch of God only happened when he had come to this place where he was alone, where he had, he had left everything, and it was just him and God. That's when the touch came. And as he wrestled with God, this time Jacob was striving for the right. He was striving for the blessing of God himself. He, again, he wasn't striving for, uh, for animals. He wasn't striving for money. He wasn't striving for children. He was striving for God's blessing. And this makes me think 
of when we consider that we should be striving for the spiritual, that everything spiritual that God has told us is worthwhile to strive after, it got, to me, it got me to thinking, what are those things? What, what, should we, what should we be reminded of this morning that we should be striving for? And so a couple of these things that we have in our notes, uh, I think are very important things that Scripture tells us to strive for. The first thing is that we are to strive to enter the, the straight gate or the narrow door. In Luke chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able... This is such an amazing verse, and it's always been an amazing thought, is that there are only a few people on the straight and narrow, and that there are many on the broad and wide path. That's an amazing thing, and and the sad reality is when Jesus is talking about the fruits and the the indicators of what a saved person is, even the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when he begins to talk about what it looks like for someone to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we look around— in our cultural Christianity today, and we look around at the casual approach to Jesus Christ himself, even in America, it makes somebody really think, how many people are really saved and on their way to heaven? How many people are truly born again? How many people are truly on that narrow path, going to enter through that narrow gate? How many people are truly on that path? And I'm not trying to say this to, to, to strike fear, but the Bible the, in Corinthians, it says, examine yourselves daily, whether you be in the faith, our lives should match up with what it says. And now this is, this is the deal. I realize that none of us are perfect. None of us are going to be sinless, but we should be striving on that narrow path. We should be striving to that narrow gate. It's a struggle. We should be pressing toward that mark. That's what we should be doing. It's not like, well, now that I'm saved, got my golden ticket, I can just kind of live my life now. I know I'm going to heaven I don't have to take the things of God important. I don't have to strive for the spiritual. I don't have to exalt God above all. I don't have to do all those things because he's my savior. He's in my heart. I asked him there. We should be striving to enter into that. The Bible says, strive. Strive. What does that mean? What does that word mean? Uh, we, can have, we could go around the room and we could talk about how, what we think that word is, but I thank God that, that we have the, some of the original words and the original language uh, that we can look to and, and get a better picture for us today what this means. To strive to enter in at the, the straight gate, the word in the Greek strive is this, agonizome. Agonizome. What does that sound like? agony agony to struggle to literally compete for a prize to contend with an adversary to endeavor to give every bit of energy to accomplish something to fight to labor fervently to strive see when we hear the word strive we have maybe a a, we give effort to that no 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 no. that's not the greek word that's not what jesus was saying Jesus was saying, give every bit of your energy to accomplishing this. Jesus was saying, agonize in this. Contend with the adversary as you're you're pressing toward that gate. It's an agony. It's a wrestling match. It's a struggle. You're to labor fervently in this endeavor to enter into the straight gate. That's a fight. It's a race. The Bible tells us that. Fight the good fight of faith. Run the race. And here... We see that it's to be given with our very best effort. Again, I'm going to make a disclaimer. Not to be saved. Not not to be saved. But as descriptive of the nature of the path for those who are saved. For those who are on that narrow path. It's a struggle. It's to be pressing toward that. There are only few, again, on this narrow path. There's only few on the narrow road. And it's very clearly a struggle. Jesus said that. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Paul said that you're going to face this affliction. Peter said that, yea, that they will, that will live godly shall suffer persecution. It's going to be a struggle on this narrow path. And we are to struggle and to strive and to agonize, pressing toward that, as Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 says, that mark of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
So the question that we have to answer this morning is if we're to be struggling, agonizing, striving, these, these spiritual things that we're supposed to be striving for, and, and, and this is the, one of the first things that we see, are we striving to enter in at the, the straight gate, the narrow gate? Or if you were to evaluate your life, does it look more like I'm seeking comfort on the broad road? Am I striving on the narrow or seeking comfort on the broad? I heard someone recently say, if we're going to be honest, most of us today give more effort to being comfortable than we do to being Christ-like. And we try to, do, we try to set our lives up like that. We, we don't look at our lives and say, uh, whatever it takes, make me like you. We don't say, sanctify me, conform me to the image of your son. I'm yours. Yes, Lord, I'll do this. Yes, Lord, I'll do this. Remember that, 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 that liberty, uh, it never tells God no. You know, the, the healthy boundaries, it never tells God no. This is, this is us, you know, are we, are, we, are we truly seeking to be Christ-like? Are we honestly, if, our life, if we're being honest with our life, Seeking comfort. How many times do we say, I don't feel like doing this. I don't know. I think God's okay if I don't do this. And maybe we don't say that with our lips, but we think in our heart, it's in our, it's in our minds. And we, we try to give excuse for doing what we want to do because it's comfortable. Versus simply saying, whatever it takes, I want to be Christ-like. He's striving. Again, it should be a clear indicator of which path we're going on, whether we're striving for the narrow gate or we're seeking comfort on the broad gate. And again, this is what Jesus said. It's very clear what that looks like. The second thing that we should be striving for, we, we are to strive together for the faith of the gospel. This is our theme verse for this year's theme of one, and it is a very powerful verse. I love this verse. But it tells us that we are to be striving together for the faith of the gospel, laboring, struggling, wrestling, ensuring with a togetherness, ensuring in this oneness that we not only live out the faith, but we share this gospel so that others hear and others understand just as we did and have. And so as those who are striving for the narrow gate, we should be striving for the same things. We should be going the same direction, right? I mean, that's it. If there's only so much room on the narrow path, and we're all supposed to be striving for that gate. We're all supposed to be going that direction of Christ-likeness. We're all supposed to be going that direction of the upward calling of Christ. Then we're all sh- we all should be doing the same work. We should all be laboring the same thing. That's why I love the simplicity of the commission that God gave to us. Go and, and teach all nations. Make disciples of all nations. This is what I want you to do. And you got to be together on this. you got to be unified in this because that's where you'll find your power. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Isn't it interesting how, how the, the path it, by, by professing Christians is tried to be widened? Well, maybe we can be, no, it's this narrow. We are, we are going one direction together. We are to be unified in this. It's the same purpose, the same call, the same commission. It's not changed for 2,000 years. We should be striving, wrestling for the same thing, the gospel, getting the gospel to those who are in darkness. I thought of something this week. Rochelle and I went up to a BBFI National Conference, and uh, I don't remember where it was. Maybe it was on a plane ride or, um, I don't know. I, I, I th- I, this thought came to my mind, though, as I was kind of thinking about what I was going to be preaching and the, the, the message that was going to be preached uh, today. And, and it was this, can we really say that we believe the Bible, believe the gospel, the truth of the gospel, if we don't share it with others? Can, it, can we say that we really believe that, that Jesus is the only way? Can we really believe that, that can we really say that we believe that um, he is the way, the truth, and life? Can we really say that we believe, think about this, if we really believe it, if we really believe that there is they're, every man's a sinner, and unless they surrender their life to God through faith in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, 
if, if we really believe that, then as those who have been redeemed, those who have been imputed with the righteousness of God, his righteousness deposited upon our account, those who have been compelled with the love of God, infused with the love of God, because as 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. If we have the, the love of God, if we have the Holy Spirit of God who came and made himself in the form of man, God made himself in the form of man to seek and save that which was lost, and as he was sent, even so sent he us. If, if, if this is, is who we are with the love of God and the Spirit of God in us, would we be okay knowing that others around us may be going to an eternal torment if we don't tell them the gospel, the good news? Again, the same love of God that sent his only son, the same love is inside of us, the same Spirit of God that worked on this earth, that, that, that was in Christ, that was with Christ, that same Spirit in us Desiring the same things, that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Can we say that we really have been changed, that we've been transformed because we believe the gospel, because we trusted Christ? Can we really say that we believe it if we don't tell them the good news? If we're okay with that, if we're okay with people dying around us without maybe ever hearing the gospel, if we're okay with people not having a clear understanding of what the gospel, if we're okay with that, then I would contend that Scripture says we don't truly believe it. Matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon, he said once, have you no wish for others to be saved? He said, then you, my friend, are not saved. That, that, that's a, a tall tale sign is it, of the Holy Spirit inside of us, the love of God inside of us. How could the very love of God that sent his only son that dwells inside of us, how can that exist without a care that somebody else hears around us? That he would, the Bible says that he would die for sinners while we were yet in our sins. That kind of love in us. And if we're okay with others around us, maybe never hearing it from our mouths. It's got to be an evaluation. Is it really in me? Because again, if we really believe it, how could we not share it? If we really believe that we were lost sinners on our way to hell and without the help, without the salvation of God in our life, we would be going to hell for all of eternity. If we really believe that, then how could we not do it? It's not just an obedience issue. It's not just the command. Jesus, it's not just about Jesus said, go. Yes, it's a command. Yes, it's a commission. Yes, and it's an obedience issue. But it is very much so also a moral issue. What does it say for a new life in Christ that cares not for the perishing around it? I would say not a new life at all. Not a new life at all. Sometimes the sad reality is that we can't wrestle rightly together. Even in things strive together, we can't contend together for some things like worshiping our king. You're here this morning. There's no doubt that this place could be filled. Every, every church that has a, a church member, and I realize there's sicknesses and people are out of town and stuff like that, but I'm just saying if the people of God can't contend for something like worshiping him together, He's our God. He saved us. Why would we not take every opportunity to glorify him? I mean, he, he's, he, he's the head of, of who we are. He's, he's the, the pinnacle of everything we are. He is the center of our everything, or should be, as the people of God. And if we can't get together on something like worshiping him, what's our hope of being together and sharing the good news with a loss so that they won't have to spend an eternity in hell? God, help us strive for the right. God, help us strive together for the faith of the gospel. The next thing similar to this, and that's that we are to strive to get the gospel to others in God's power. You see, I, I, that's why Paul the apostle even prayed uh, for, for boldness. He prayed, he asked the, some of the churches uh, in, in uh, uh, Philippians, and he also asked the Ephesians to pray for him that he would have boldness. 
Uh, the Corinthians, I believe, he asked as well. Boldness. Uh, because Paul realized that he was weak in himself. He called himself the chiefest, uh, uh, chiefest of sinners. He said that he was the least of all the apostles. Paul realized his frailness and his weakness. In Romans chapter 7, he declared, look, there's times that I do things that I don't want to do, and there's times that I don't do the things that I really want to do. And I realize there's a battle within me. It's the Spirit. The Spirit inside me wants to obey the lights after the Word of God and wants to do the things of God. But I've got this fleshly body that knows what it is to sin. And I've got this, these elements in my body that know what it is to sin. And they war against the Spirit. And so there's this war. There's this, there's this law of sin that's, that's in my life that I have to struggle with. So if Paul the Apostle, who had seen the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and had been empowered with apostolic power and had been breathed to by the Holy Spirit, many, much of the New Testament, if Paul the Apostle had a struggle, then I would say that you and I are going to have some struggle in our life as well. And there's no way that we're going to be able to do what God calls us to do, let alone get the gospel to the nations without his power, without the power of God in our life. Look, it's not going to happen. It, there's not really going to be a time that our flesh feels like entering into the spiritual battle of telling someone how to be saved through Jesus Christ alone. There's not really a good time. There's only a few people that are very extroverts, that, 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 are, that, are, that love and, and they're socialized, and they love talking to people, that they feel like doing that. But most of us, we have to be more spiritually minded than we are physically minded to do what God has called us to do. And again, that moral issue. If I've been saved, how can I not share it with others who need to be saved? And so there's no way that I can, there's no way that you can, there's no way that, that any of us can, can accomplish this getting the gospel to the lost without the power of God. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says in verse 20, 21, And you that were sometime alienated and aliens in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, a minister of the gospel, who now rejoices, that means a servant of the gospel, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, he, listen to what he says. Paul says, look, I, I rejoice in the, the afflictions, the suffering that I'm going through on your behalf. He says, because I'm filling up. I'm, I'm, I'm filling up what's lacking of the afflictions of Christ. Not that Christ lacked anything, but that his afflictions stopped after he rose from the dead or on the cross. And Paul's saying, you know what? They're being filled up in me. They're keeping going in, in, in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Paul was saying, I'm going through the afflictions in my body because it's for Christ's sake on your behalf, the church, whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given for me, uh, to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. What is this? To whom, to whom, God, uh, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory whom we preach, look what he says, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, striving according to his energy, his strength, which worketh in me mightily. It works in me mightily, powerfully. See, we should be struggling. We should be sacrificing. We should be laboring, even facing affliction if it's necessary. To see other people be saved. The Apostle Paul says, this is what I've been called. This is the, we've been made a minister. And, and, and this is what I'm doing. This is, I'm striving. I'm laboring. And I'm doing it according to his power that works in me in a powerful way. We should be doing this in God's power. Let's see more in the, in the next point that we get to. Uh, maybe next week if the Lord wills. But letter D. We're going to strive in prayer for others. I'm going to try to hurry for spiritual leaders. We strive in prayer for spiritual leaders and for others. Romans 15, 30. Now I beseech you, Paul's begging these Roman believers, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. I've said this many times to, to you, to our church. I, I, I'm not ashamed to ask for your prayers. 
It's necessary for you to pray for me. I'm praying for you. I'm begging for you to pray for me. The Apostle Paul, again, if he's not too, too strong to say, listen, I need your prayers, please pray for me, then I'm nobody to say, please pray for me. So the question I have is, are you wrestling in prayer for the leaders that God has placed in this church? For me, for the elders, for the deacons, for the teachers. Listen, the spiritual battle is real. And just because it may not be played out before your eyes every day, I promise you it's real and it's worth the fight. It's worth the struggle and prayer for. I promise you. So please, as Paul, Paul says, pray for me. Write it down. Set a note. Pray for me. Pray for our leadership. I believe when your heart's touched to pray for your pastor, for, for your, your Sunday school teacher, for your ministry leader, for, for the deacons, then the heart gets touched to help in every way as it follows. I think that's one of the many reasons why Jesus asked his disciples to pray in the garden right before he was, he was to be crucified. He wrestled for the sake of our sin, for their sin. And he said, pray. They fell asleep. He asked them, couldn't you pray for an hour? At least the last thing, letter E. We're to strive against sin. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, the writer says, you've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. In other words, in your struggle against sin, you haven't come to the place where you've resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And that's the truth for us today, especially here in America. But we have brothers and sisters around the world that are. They're struggling against sin. They're, they're living out their faith. And they're, they're still being martyred for the faith in Jesus Christ today. We have brothers and sisters like that. They're being prisoned. They're being beaten. They're being tortured. There, there are many of our brothers and sisters who are just like us, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, yet they can't live it out in comfort and peace and freedom like we can. They have to, they have to try to meet in secret places, and they, try to have to, they have to try to share the gospel in, in innovative ways so that they can continue to do that work and not be in prison and not be killed for their faith. It's real. Just because it's not played out before our eyes doesn't mean that it's not real. It's real. And just because we aren't being imprisoned, just because we aren't being beaten, just because we're not being killed for our faith doesn't also mean that we don't struggle against sin because every single one of us know in this room that we struggle against sin. The struggle is real. We haven't, we haven't resisted we haven't struggled against sin to the point of shedding our blood. But we still struggle. It's not a groundbreaking truth. This morning, I, I pray that with this point, that we'd be reminded that striving against sin is what we should be doing. The struggle to, to refrain against sin, the, the, to refrain uh, against this, this, this element in our life that tries to keep us from having right fellowship with God and right fellowship with, with others, this, this, this struggle against sin that tries to keep us from being effective in our lives for the kingdom of God, the struggle is worth it. So keep struggling, keep striving, keep, keep agonizing against sin, resisting sin. It's worth the fight. But all these things, these are spiritual things to be striving for, spiritual things. So the question is this, are we? And it brings to mind this last thing concerning our kids, the next generation, our men's Bible study. A couple weeks ago, we had a gentleman on the, the video ask a question and he challenged his own life with, and he, and he, and he put it out to uh, the, the people who, were, who would be watching the videos, which we were, uh, and, and he said this. He said, I asked myself this, when my kids leave, what, what do I want most for them, really? At the end of it all, when my kids leave my house, what do I want for them? And he said, so I encourage you to ask yourself basically the same question. And here's the question that he asked. He said, do, do I want most of all, when my kids leave my house, do I want them to end up with a D1 scholarship to play sports? Do I want them to get into an Ivy League school or a college, have a scholarship? Is that what I want most? Do I want them to have friends and popularity and feel secure in their social life? Is that what I want most from them? Or do I want them to leave my house with a sincere faith and character? He said, part B is the hard thing. Which do you put more time, money, and effort into? The reality is, is spend money on 
all kinds of stuff. We spend a lot of time and effort on a lot of stuff concerning our kids. But is there anything in this life more valuable that they could walk away from our homes with than sincere faith and character? No. Striving for the spiritual. My kids leave my house. It doesn't really care, I don't really care how popular they are. When they leave, I've already talked about this. Whether they go to college or get a job, I don't, I don't have an expectation on that. Whether they play sports at the next level, I, I want them walking away with a sincere faith and character. I want them, I want them to live their life out and their days out for the glory of Almighty God. Because I know that, they, that there's nothing else in this world that could even compare for them having and living out their days. There's nothing else because that moment that they stand before the judge, the great king, the king of kings, that moment they stand before, them, before him, he's not going to say, I'm really proud of the job that you had. I'm really proud of the sports you played. I'm really proud of how many friends you had. He's not going to say any of that. They're going to stand before him and give an account, as Scripture says. If we're devoted to striving for the spiritual, then we'll have a right perspective and relationship with the temporal things of this world. That's what the truth is. If we're striving for the spiritual, if we're striving after what's truly valuable, then we'll have a right relationship with all the temporal things in this world. They won't dominate our lives. But this only comes from having the right perspective ourselves about life and eternity. That's the only way it happens. I'm not going to read these scriptures, but they're in your notes, and I want to encourage you to read them when you get an opportunity. Colossians 3 talks about set your affection, your mind on things above. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and through, through 5 talks about that the things which are seen are, are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal, and that we groan for uh, this, this heavenly home, that this is our desire. Again, that's in, in, in 2 Corinthians. Matthew chapter 6, of course, Jesus says to Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Strive for that. Not for treasures on this earth, not for things on this earth, but for eternal things. This morning, I, I pray that you're challenged and encouraged with, with what you're striving for. I know I, I have been in, in preparation, preparation for this and even preaching it this morning. Could I agonize more? For the kingdom of God. Could I strive more? Could I struggle more? Absolutely. And I pray that maybe that was brought to surface for you as well. And let's determine not to just have something in our minds and our hearts that we heard today and walk out of here and nothing changed. Let's leave this place today and say, you know what? I'm going to strive more for the spiritual than I, than I have been when I walked into this place. I don't want to see the next generation come up and then we as parents and grandparents say, Oops, I guess we should have. Too late then. Let's do it now. Let's strive now for this next generation's sake, for the kingdom of God's sake, for the glory of God's sake. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message and the challenge in it. Lord, help us to strive for the spiritual. God, help us to show this next generation coming up that there's nothing more valuable. There's nothing worth striving for in this life when we have you to strive for. There's, there, there, you are the greatest prize. You are the, the highest treasure. Lord, to strive after you and the things that, that, that are important to you is the most important thing for us. And I pray that it would be in our hearts. It would be set in our minds. God, and if we're living a life striving after comfort, striving after sin, striving after flesh, then I pray that we would be the first ones at this altar this morning repenting and asking for your help. Lord, help us be real. Help us to strive for what's right. The time's running out. Time is so short. Help us to cross the finish line striving. I'm going to praise you for what you do. I should have moved now in Jesus' name.